0: May we come with that heart of gratitude as we gather in this place and online today with that truth reverberating in our hearts that whatever we have to offer, it's really not enough. Whether it's a song that we sing that will come to an end or an offering that we bring Uh, that has a, a start and a stop, there's a limit to it. There's nothing that we could ever bring that is enough for a limitless, perfect, holy God. And so we just come and we offer all that we have. We lift our hallelujah together. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, the first two verses, he says, bring your lives as an offering, a living offering to God a living sacrifice and this is your act of worship that will transform us by the renewing of our minds. And so we come today uh, as an act of worship and we submit to the presence of God, the Holy Spirit and God's word, not in an attempt to make it be what we want it to be, but submitting to the truth of what God's word speaks to us today. And so we may we come with that posture we are in a series called Gospel Friends, and we've been talking about what does a, a gospel-driven friend look like? How do we pursue people that like that in our lives, and how can we be people like that, that are rooted in the truth of who Jesus is and what He did and His coming, what He's coming to do. And so we've talked about gospel friends are humble, and we've talked about gospel friends are present in suffering. Last week, we talked about Gospel Friends Seek Peace. And today, we're going to wrap this series up that it may be the most difficult for us of all the things that we're going to talk about. But perhaps uh, it rises in, at, at least at the, as much as anything else in importance. But I, I want to, before we jump into that, I want us to reflect on the reality of how much we really take Gospel Friends for granted. And what I mean by that is I wonder how much of the time we take for granted, we don't even think about the reality that the work of God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit transforms us. And it transforms our relationships that we have a blessing in one another that those without the work and the mercy of God do not experience. I remember the first time that this ever really became clear to me. Uh, it was on my wedding day. And Jesse and I were, were doing all the things that you do on your wedding day. And we were surrounded by our friends, those people that, that we did life with and that we loved. And there was one person in particular that was spending uh, not only that day with us, but the days leading up to that, that, that really didn't have that in their life. And I was just about to, to go off to the side room so that we could start the ceremony. And this person pulled me aside and I said, your friends are weird. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, y'all are patient with each other and you're kind and there's no drama and you think about each other first. I don't have that in my life. And then for the first time in, in my early adult life, I realized that what I was experiencing was not normal when compared to what people experience in the world. That the world is full of friendships that have a lot of drama, where people look out for themselves, where people are easily hurt and offended, where splinters become uh, problems in the people in their relationships with each other. And that wasn't what I was experiencing because I had relationships that had been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we were experiencing the the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. And it was a different dynamic. And I don't want us to take that for granted that this is the life that God calls us into that we pursue relationships like that and we offer ourselves to be gospel friends that are different. And I think perhaps the biggest marker of what is different from what others experience in the world is this truth that gospel friends conquer evil with good. We don't seek retaliation or revenge. We're not out to look for number one. We're not out to protect ourselves at the sake of others. We don't seek drama in our relationships. Instead, we're always looking to seek good in the lives of others around us. To bring goodness and love and truth into every opportunity that we have. And really what we're talking about Is that what we seek to do together is to follow the way of Jesus. To pursue lives that look like him. The life that he lived and the truth that he taught. And Jesus lived out and he taught us to conquer evil. Not with evil. Not with our own agenda, but to conquer evil with good. The most famous sermon of all history, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus spoke to this reality in Matthew 5. He says these words in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. Or we might say today that you might be a gospel-driven friend. It goes on, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, meaning whole and complete, Like our Father, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That we don't seek retaliation, we don't seek revenge when others hurt us, when they infringe on our rights, when they get in our space, we don't lash out, but we bless them. And we pray for them. And how much more so, if that's the way we treat people who hurt us and are against us, how much more so should we be loving and kind and compassionate and patient with the people that we extend friendship to? This is the way of Jesus. And what I don't want us to miss is just how radical this is. I think one of the biggest struggles of the modern church, at least in America, is that we have over time in subtle but profound ways began to redefine what is good based on politics and economics and culture rather than the life and the ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the early church understood this, that what we define as good to conquer evil with good cannot be defined by anything else. It was not definable by a certain political group or a certain cultural group or what was palatable to them at the moment. It was driven by Jesus and his life and his ministry. And the early church looked radically different and as we break into our tribes in the modern day church and we pick and choose what sounds good to us, I think sometimes we miss the true message of Jesus. And we are not comfortable with allowing the words in the ministry of Jesus to confront us and what we've embraced. Now, if we look in the mirror and Jesus looks just like me, then maybe we've got a made up Jesus. And so I want us to look for just a second at the early church and what they embraced as good and let it in a very grace-filled, you know, merciful, God is kind, He is loving, he is merciful. We're, we're drawn to Him by His love, not by this anger. But God's love should confront us in our brokenness so that we can live more into the life of God. And, and so as we look at the early church, we should be confronted a little bit. Some of these you'll say, yes, amen, and you'll get excited about and some are like, oh, I'm not really sure about that, but this is the way of Jesus to conquer evil with good. So some things of the early church we see in Paul's letters, we see in the gospels, we see in historic documents that describe the early church. We see in the letters and books of the early fathers that described to us what was happening in the early church. So what does that look like? These first followers of Jesus, number one is that they were intentionally multiracial. That in the first century, The land and the cities and the region of those who were first following Jesus had deep-seated divisions on ethnicity. And I'm not just talking about subtle. I'm talking about deep hatred across ethnic divides. And Jesus comes along and he breaks down the wall of division and people not only embraced one another, but they did life with each other and they worshiped in their homes together. They broke bread together and Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile came together. And then they embraced this, not as an accident, but intentionally. And what would that look like for for us? to not just, you know, be okay with it, but to intentionally embrace this, we are meant to do life with others that don't look like us. Number two, the early church, they were committed to marriage between a man and a woman as a lifelong covenant. See, in the first century, a man could could come to his wife if he was unhappy with her in any way and give her a certificate of divorce and send her on her way. And this was seen as being a kind of an okay thing. In the first century, in the Roman culture in particular, we get all kind of worked up about the, what we call debauchery and and, and impurity and things like that. We don't have a clue compared to what was happening in the first century in Roman culture. I mean, they embraced anything and everything. And yet these followers of Jesus came along and said, no, it's not like a contract that you can walk in and walk out of. This is a lifelong covenant where two become one and you join yourself together. And yeah, there's this uh, very slivered moment of opportunity where we walk away from that, but when someone walks away and they break the covenant, but that grieves God's heart. When when we walk away from that covenant based on unfaithfulness or abuse, even that grieves the heart of God. And yes, there was redemption and new life on the other side of that and God gives grace and mercy, but it grieves the heart of God and it grieves us and it leaves brokenness. But that was the way of the early church, this lifelong commitment to that covenant. Number three is they gave equality to men and women. That in the first century, women were seen as lower status And the early church came along and said, no, like we we are both made in the image of God. And often women were embraced in a way that they weren't embraced anywhere else. Even Paul had women involved in ministry throughout the known world. And we take that for granted today as if that's always been that way and it hasn't been. That was a, a Jesus way of being. Number four the early church followers of Jesus, they cared for the poor and the suffering. But they went out of their way to take care of those who could not take care of themselves. They went out of their way to, to reach out. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't say, well, I need to know what you're going to do with this before I give it to you. And I'm not saying we should be fooled saying that we should be irresponsible, but I'm saying our heart of giving should be one of generosity, not one of expectation. That the early church was willing to give freely to care for others. Yes, with wisdom, and they set up ministries to oversee it, to be wise with their resources, but their heart was to be generous. As a matter of fact, one of the things that has been a marker of the church since Jesus walked this earth is that when things were the darkest in the world, the church shined the brightest because they were first in line to care for the suffering and the hurting. Now think about the dark seasons of of history the plagues that have uh, killed hundreds and thousands of people. And who was on the front line caring for the sick? It was the church. When When economies and politics collapsed and regimes collapsed, it was the church that was on the front lines caring for the poor and the hungry and the homeless. They cared for the poor and the suffering. Number five, these early followers of Jesus were actively committed to the sanctity of life. So these early church followers understood that Jesus came to bring life and not death. Now, these early church followers, the early Jesus followers understood that Jesus came to, to redeem people and give them hope for a future and that Jesus conquered death. And so they were very much committed to, we have this huge problem in our world today of abortion. In the first century, their problem was something called infanticide, where if you didn't want a baby, Maybe there was an illness or a deformity or you just didn't want that baby. You would just take that baby and you would just leave it outside to die. And it was the early followers of Jesus that came along and they picked up these children and they brought them into their home and they cared for them and gave them a hope for a future. And then finally, number six, these early followers of Jesus were nonviolent and forgiving of their oppressors that these followers of Jesus following in the Jesus way, heard the words of Jesus that we turn the other cheek. When someone comes to strike us, we don't strike them back, but we commit ourselves to love and to praying for our enemies, just like Jesus said in Matthew five, to bless them, not to curse them. And the church has been trying to make sense of that since Jesus penned those words. Since he first spoke those into being, what does this look like for us? And church fathers have tried to make sense of that, of how do we care for our brothers but live a nonviolent life? And we don't have time to get into that today, but just to understand that in our relationships with other people, we are loving, not revengeful, that we care for those who would strike us rather than striking back. And that makes us uncomfortable, but that was the way of Jesus. They, they were willingly forgiving others. The early church lived in a life of deep persecution. They, they suffered bodily, they suffered economically, they suffered socially, and yet it was their kindness and compassion and love that continued to spread this truth of the gospel. They didn't fight for power, See, often what happens in our world is that the oppressed just want to change places with their oppressors. And that's not what the early church did. They said, we will willingly submit ourselves because we have a king who will care for us. We have a king who will redeem us. We have a king who has a home for us. And we'll let him fight for us. And we'll keep doing it the Jesus way. And so rather than striking out and rather than fighting back with what they wanted and what was good for them or what their agenda was, they looked at Jesus and they said, based on the life and the ministry, the the death and resurrection of Jesus, what is the good? And we will pursue that. And this is what it looked like. And they didn't try to define it in a way that was comfortable for them or met their culture for them or fit in with their politics for them. They just pursued Jesus. And this is the life that Jesus calls us into as gospel friends, to be friends of others in ways that our life looks like Jesus. And guess what? It doesn't fit into a political narrative or a cultural narrative or an economic narrative. It is the Jesus way. And so what does it look like for us to pursue that in our relationships? Paul speaks to this. This whole month, we've kind of been in and out of Romans 12 and we land there again today. And so let's look at what Paul tells us about what this looks like in our relationships with each other. So Romans chapter 12, verse nine, we'll read through verse 14 and then we'll jump ahead to verse 19. Paul says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Where do you get that from? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, so let's talk about what this means. All right, number one, Paul says that as gospel friends, we honor others. As gospel friends, we honor others. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 9, love love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. That the way of Jesus is to lift up others before me. That the way of Jesus is even though we have rights to cling to, we lay them down, we humble ourselves in obedience to our Father. That is the Jesus way. That we look at the lives of others and we wake up in the morning saying, how can I bless them? How can I honor them? And let me just lovingly push myself and all of us that honoring others is more than just not dishonoring them. It means that we go out of our way and we're intentional to lift others up and honor them. We've all heard that saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way says, let me get a hold of your heart so that you are filled with love and compassion for others, that you have good things to say to other people. That we're not just silent, that we don't just ignore people, but we step into their lives to honor them and lift them up. That is the Jesus way. And when people discover that that's the way the followers of Jesus live, then they will be drawn to us. And by that, they'll be drawn to Jesus. That we understand that I don't have to get worth or value or strength from somebody. I can bring it to them because it's already given to me through my Lord and Savior who came into my world and died for me. He took on my sin. He rose from the dead and he bestows life into me that I can bring to others. I don't have to get it from them. I'm not insecure about it. I can bring it to them because of what Jesus has already done. And so we honor others. Paul goes on to say in verse 12 that the second thing we do is we hold on to hope. We hold on to hope. Listen to what he says. I'll start in verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And others, don't give up. We keep pressing in. We keep expecting the move of God. And then verse 12. Be joyful in hope. That as followers of Jesus, one of the things that should mark us, really, that should make us different from anybody else on planet Earth throughout all history or future to come, is that we have a relentless grip on hope. That we never underestimate what God is about to do. Whatever we're walking in is not the end because our God is still at work. I mean, this is the gospel that when everybody thought it was finished and they put him in the tomb and they wrapped him up and they sealed it with a stone that God was just getting started and the resurrection was coming because there's always hope in Jesus. And so we come to others and we lead them to the light. Nobody wants to follow somebody who's going into despair and darkness. They want to follow somebody who's moving toward hope and light and truth and goodness. And so as gospel friends, we continue to come to people driven by and communicating hope. Is that the dominant tone of our language and our speech and our conversation with others? Is it driven by hope? Number three, what does Paul tell us to do? He tells us to be patient. Again, verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Now, of all the virtues of the early church, this way of Jesus, I think this is probably the one that we understand the least. Because when we talk about be patient, what we tend to think of is, in a moment, I get angry and I need to be patient. I don't need to lose my temper. I don't need to say what I want to say right now uh, or things are not going my way, so I need to be patient. But it was far deeper than that for the early church. The early church was patient not over hours or days, but over years, where they continued to experience persecution. They continued to experience a culture that was opposed to the Jesus way. They continued to experience economic hardship and political division and fear, and yet they did not lean into despair. They continued to lean into the goodness of God with patience. Can you imagine the amount of patience over a lifetime that would be required to continue to love people that hated you, that defamed you, that blamed things on you as a people? Where you had to constantly sacrifice. You didn't know if you'd be executed or not for following Jesus and they continued to patiently follow the way of Jesus. And it was that patience along with their love that changed the face of their communities, that people looked at them and said, look at that, a people who never give in and never give up. What is that all about? And so we've got to be friends who are patient when when life is hard, when life is difficult, when things are not going our way, when our friends are suffering, that we're present and patient, continuing to just be steady. And what's the next right thing to do? What's the Jesus way? Paul goes on. And he says that we keep praying, keep praying. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This is our first line of defense. It is not a last resort that beginning, middle and end is driven by prayer that we're talking to God and listening to God and interceding for those around us. And one of the questions that I would encourage all of us to continue to ask is if every one of my prayers got answered, would it just benefit me or would it benefit the people around me? Would it benefit the world? Would it bring the kingdom of God to earth? And so we be are faithful in prayer to lift others up, to, to pray for their needs and concerns and their salvation and their hearts. This was a marker of the church that they were driven by prayer. They were driven by the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit that that was praying for them as well. And we continue to come to our Father and say, Lord, you lead me, you guide me, and you do what only you can do. We need you at work in our lives. We be faithful in prayer. Number five is that we share with people in need. We share with people in need. Verse 13 Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. That the markers of a a Jesus follower, one of those markers is that we are generous in spirit and heart and willing to open up our homes, willing to give our resources and our time and our energy and our heart to share with others the goodness of God that we can lift them up when they're in need of help, that, that we can walk with people when they are alone, that we can give guidance when people are confused or don't know what to do next, that we constantly share the goodness of God through us to them. And I think sometimes that our, our hearts and our minds get so twisted with expectations of other people of, well, I can't help them because they won't help themselves, Or or we get twisted with, you know, this image that we think that we have to portray. And so we're afraid to open our homes to others. We, we get afraid to, to embrace people in their brokenness because what if that rubs off on me? And, and I'm not saying we do that intentionally. But all of us, myself included, there's this deep place in our hearts where we wrestle with those things. And Jesus said, I'm not asking you to figure everything out for them. I'm just asking you to be willing to be generous and to share what I've given you. I mean, what if we realize that everything we have is not ours, but God's? What if we realize that God is not dealing with uh, finite, limited resources, but he's infinite? There's a thousand cattle on a thousand hills, and where God brings some, he can bring more. As we let it move through our hands to others. What if we realize that it is the generosity of God's people that transforms hearts? of unbelievers and the hurting and the searching. What if we were willing to share with the others? And then finally, is that we trust God and love like Jesus. This is what Jesus or Paul lifts up. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That word, be careful, It literally means to be thinking ahead. In other words, what Paul is saying is be prepared ahead of time. And how do you do that? Is daily surrender to Christ, daily walking with Jesus, daily prayer and worship and silence before our creator. Jesus, you are my one pursuit. And I want your life to come into my life. And he goes on and he says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, is this like some kind of backdoor way of getting revenge, like God's gonna punish them? No, like the scripture tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it is unseen powers. And what Jesus wants to do is to come and defeat sin and death. And he always has hope that we would turn to him. And yes, there's an eternal judgment. There is a heaven and a hell that we, we will be held accountable for the decision we make to surrender to Christ or not. But I think even more than that, these, these heaping coals, it's a pulling toward the love and compassion and forgiveness, a call to repentance, in the lives of those people around us that does not come through judgment and hitting people over the head, but comes through the love of Jesus. That we trust him, that he will take care of things. I don't have to do that. I trust Jesus that it's all gonna be taken care of in the end. And he's gonna care for me because he loves me. He knows what I need before I pray for it. That's what the, the gospel says. Jesus teaching us to pray says, your father knows what you need before you ask it. He has a heart to care for you. So we don't have to take it into our own hands. Yes, be responsible. Yes, be wise. But trust him to love like Jesus. See, the world, and unfortunately, sometimes the church, we get caught up in, like we cancel people and we, you know, we, we tell people all the things that they're doing wrong and, and we boycott things and like we do all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, no, they will know you by your love. Not by who you cancel. <laughs> They'll know you by who you love and the way you love. And we gotta trust Jesus to, to step into that. My heart's desire is that I would be a gospel friend and that we would be gospel friends that would not engage in war as the world engages in war, but we would engage in our relationships through the way of Jesus. Over this last year, year and a half, we've as a family, as a Getwell family, we've had to say goodbye to a lot of people that we love. We've sent a lot of people on home to heaven There's been a lot of grieving and a lot of hurting, but it's also been a lot of reflection. And here's where I've been reflecting. As when the Lord calls me home, I wanna have a legacy of a life that was lived in the way of Jesus. I really hope that when the Lord calls me home, that people gather and they don't say like, well, he was not mean. I really hope that they say, like, don't say, he was super organized. Or, you know, he could talk in front of people pretty well. Like, no. Like, I want them to say, you know what? He went out of his way to honor other people. I want him to say, you know what? Like, he was so patient. He was loving. I want him to say, you know what? Like, he never gave up hope. Every day, whatever was happening, he leaned into hope. Really what I want him to say is, you know what? His life looked a lot like Jesus. That's what I want for all of us. We cannot look like the world, not because we hate the world or we're trying to fix the world. Jesus will fix the world. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't have to worry about that. But I do want to stand before him one day and I want to hear those words, well well done my good and faithful servant. Because you trusted me. And in this world of evil and darkness, you didn't play tit for tat, you didn't do as the world did, but you conquered evil with good. In every relationship and every opportunity. May that be said of us, because here's what I believe. This is one relationship at a time, one encounter at a time as we conquer evil with good, that will change the world. That will draw people to the, the love and the mercy and the grace and the power of God. It's not a social media campaign. It's not even who sits in office It's not the the world economic situation. It's one relationship at a time, one encounter at a time as we conquer evil with good. Let's lean into that. So if you'll stand, I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna pray for me. This is, requires ultimately that we surrender to the work of the Spirit of God in us, trusting Jesus. And this is a hard message for me. I, I gotta do a look in the mirror and say, Lord, do I look like Christ in the world? Or have I tried to make this more palatable and God, I just wanna to surrender to you and I wanna encourage all of us. Maybe it's for the first time in your life, you might have an opportunity to surrender to Jesus that he can bring life into your world that we put our hope in other things that we'll never fulfill. And maybe today is the day we can bring, bring that to Jesus. Or maybe we're, we're here today and we realize that there's a part of our lives that we've compartmentalized and we've shut off to him, that we can open up to him and surrender that and say, Lord, I want all of my life to look like Jesus, not just part of it. Not even just most of it. I want all of my life to look like Jesus, so I surrender it to you. May we have the courage to pray that prayer today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. These altars will be open. If you want to come and pray, if you want somebody to pray with you, just wave us over. But let's surrender to the Lord today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness, your beauty, Lord, that draws us in. That you are a God of righteousness and justice. Lord, but you don't ask us to take that into our hands. You sent Jesus to do that, and he bore our sin on his body, and he took it to the grave, and he defeated it. God, help us to discern the ways that we do care for our brothers and sisters. We stand up for what's right and good. We stand up for justice and truth. But in our lives in relationship with one another, Lord, we're willing to turn the other cheek. We're willing to bless those who persecute us. We're willing to conquer evil with good so that other people will see Jesus in us, that we'll leave a legacy that's not about us, but it's about you. Lord, breathe life into us right now. For those of us trying to do it on our own, help us to lay that burden down and come to you and receive eternal life. To say, yes, Jesus, I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need redemption. I need the hope of eternal life. Forgive me and restore me and fill me with your Spirit. And for those of us, Lord, who have been trying to walk with you and, and out of fear or out of ignorance or bias, there's parts of our heart that we've kept hidden from you as if you don't see it anyway, Lord, help us to open those parts of us to you and surrender even that to you as well, that we could be fully redeemed, that sanctification will take place in us and we'll look more like Jesus when we walk out of this building than when we came in. For your ultimate glory, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.